How's everybody doing? Good. You know, I have been, uh, th- I've just been loving this series that we've been in. We are in a series uh, about the tabernacle. It's called Worthy, How to Worship a King. And if you're joining us for the first time, we've been talking about the tabernacle and the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. And, and the question we've been answering is, why are we talking about an Old Covenant tabernacle as it applies to our worship today? Well, in the first week, we talked about how Hebrews 8.5 says that the earthly tabernacle is actually a shadow or a copy of the heavenly tabernacle in heaven. That Jesus is the high priest serving in the heavenly tabernacle. And the picture that God gave to Moses of the tabernacle here on earth is actually a shadow or a copy of what is happening in heaven even today. And so it's important to talk about the process of the tabernacle because the process to approach God and the process to be, being a follower and entering into his presence is important. It's an important thing to talk about. And so today... We're going to continue on our journey through the tabernacle. And uh, up to this point, uh, we've been talking about um, the outer courts. And so uh, week one, uh, we talked about the priesthood, how you are called to be priests, that the moment you got saved, you were drafted into the priesthood to minister to God and to facilitate connection points between humanity and God. And you carry the presence of God as a priest. And then the second week, we talked about the altar of sacrifice. If we have a picture of the tabernacle, we could put it up here. You'll notice uh, that's not it. That's the wrong one. There it is right there. So you enter here on the right side through the gates of thanksgiving. Uh, Psalm 100 says, enter the gates with thanksgiving and the courts with praise. And we talked about that attitude of joy and thanksgiving that we have when we come into the house of God. And then the second week we talked about the altar of sacrifice, how it all begins with submission. That the whole process of knowing God, it begins at laying your life at the altar of sacrifice. Romans 12 says, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is a true and proper form of worship. And Jesus took the judgment. Jesus took the, the, the death. He took the pain of the cross away from you. So you no longer have to die. You have an opportunity by believing in Jesus to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And now we are called as priests of God to offer our bodies, to offer our lives as living sacrifices. And then the next, last week we talked about go ahead and put that picture back up of the tabernacle we talked about the bronze basin and and how uh the bronze basin represents the washing of the word of god and we see in the new testament after uh jesus uh he goes into this room it's the week that he's about to die and he goes into a room with his disciples and he begins to wash their feet And, and why was he doing that he tells his disciples in this moment that they don't need to wash their whole body because they're already clean He wasn't washing their feet to save them. He was washing their feet to cleanse the soil of the world off their feet. And so the word of God plays a role in in washing uh, us clean, the daily cleansing of the word of God. Because how many of you know after you get saved, you still make mistakes, right? We still have tendencies and habits and, and thoughts and attitudes that don't reflect God. And so there's this process, just like the Israelites, they were led out of Egypt, but Egypt still had to come out of them. Because they complained and they wanted to go back and they had these draws back towards Egypt. So there was this process of getting Egypt out of God's people. Well, the word of God does that to us today. 
that we get saved, but there is a process of getting that nature, of, of, of submitting that nature fully to God, that we've become a new creation the moment we get saved. We are no longer sinners saved by grace, but we are saints, and because God has given us a new nature, we are a new creation, but there is a process of submitting your life daily to the Word of God and allowing it to cleanse you. And today we are moving out of the courts and into the holy place. I'm excited to talk about the rest of the elements for the remainder of this series. See, see, while the courts are outside, they're subject to the elements. And the holy place is dark and it's enclosed. The courts are loud. They're public. They're, they smell like animal waste and blood and burning flesh like we talked about the first week. But the holy place is quiet. It feels still. And the air smells like freshly baked bread, it smells like wine and oil and incense. And the only light that comes inside the holy place is from the seven flames of the golden lampstand. And these lights, they're re- reflected on the golden covered cedar panels uh, from the, that, that form the walls of the sanctuary. You kind of get the, the, the mental picture here? Wine, bread, candlelight, gold, privacy. The courts are kind of like a family picnic, but the holy place is like a romantic dinner for two. And that's the point. It was made, it was designed to be like that. The courts were designed for ministry to the public, but the holy place was designed for ministry to God. It was made for intimacy. It was made for getting to know who God is, what, he was, what he's like, how he wants to be worshipped. The courts are, are, are for public ministry, but the holy place is an intimacy with the Lord. Today we're going to talk about the table of showbread. So the priests, after they would sacrifice uh, things on the altar, they would wash themselves in the bronze basin, and then they would, they would go through the curtain into the holy place. And directly to your, to your right, you would see the table of showbread, and to your left, uh, on opposite of the tent, would be the golden lampstand, and directly in front of you would be the altar of incense. Now, remember that everything in the court... So we have a, a picture of the table of showbread here. There it is. That's what it looked like. It would have, it would have been a, a pretty small table, only about two feet off the ground. It had this gold crown-like pattern over the, over the, the front of it, the top of it. And it represented kingship or lordship. And there was gold cups and, and spoons and, and bread and wine on the table. See, now, everything in the courts, they're covered in bronze, just like we, we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks. And bronze is the symbol, is the biblical symbol of judgment. But there's no judgment in the holy place. Everything is covered in gold, which is the symbol of deity or godship. And the table of showbread was made, again, from acacia wood. And we've talked about how acacia wood is is significant because it's a wood that doesn't rot very easily. It doesn't decay. And it actually represents represents incorruptible humanity or immortality. And, and, And so you had this table of showbread that was made of acacia wood, but it was covered in gold, which represented Jesus's deity. So Jesus was 100% God, and he was also 100% human. And he's reflected, he's seen in the table of showbread being 100% acacia wood, 100% gold, 100% God, and 100% human. And like I said, there's this gold pattern around the top, which represented kingship or lordship. And on the top of the table, 
were golden plates with 12 loaves of unleavened bread or, or bread with no yeast, no rising element in it. There was one loaf for every tribe of Israel, or as we're going to talk about later in this afternoon or this morning, there's one loaf for each disciple as well. There's 12 loaves on top of this table. There was also golden cups on the table, which were used to hold wine that was poured out as a drink offering, and golden spoons used for burning incense on the altar of incense. But why a table? What is the significance of a table? We eat at a table, don't we? Doi, thanks a lot, Pastor Blake. Tell me something I don't know. But think about it. A meal is one of the most common yet significant acts of human life. Nearly every important occasion centers around a meal. Think of a wedding. Think of a birthday. Think of a holiday or a state occasion. Every significant event that we have in our life, they center around a meal. We have these things around a table. Meals celebrate our communal life and form us into a community together. The sharing of our food ritualizes the sharing of our lives. When we break bread, when, we, when you share a meal with somebody, you are sharing your life with that person. And just think of it in the first century. A table isn't just for eating, it's for fellowship. The Israelites in the first century, they didn't have video games, they didn't have football, they didn't have TV, they didn't have, uh, they didn't have enter- entertainment like that. When they wanted fellowship with someone, they did it around a table. They sat down with people around a table, and the table was the ancient center of community. Now, it's impossible to consider the table of showbread without thinking of communion. Because we know now, in hindsight, looking back as we read about the tabernacle, that it was an Old Testament foreshadowing of a New Testament relationship with God. And since the tabernacle was a shadow of heavenly worship, we can say with authority that communion has been God's intention from the very beginning. God always wanted to sit at a table with you and commune with you, have intimacy with you. That was God's plan from the very beginning. Well, what is communion? Maybe you're new to church or you're new to reading the Bible and this, this language is kind of strange to you. What is communion? Communion is one of two what we call sacraments that our church practices here. And, and the other sacrament other than communion is water baptism. We practice water baptism here. Well, what is a sacrament? If you were to get out your Bible or get out your your concordance and your Strong's Dictionary, you won't find the word sacrament in the Bible because it's a combination of a Latin word, sacramentum, which, get this, sacramentum was originally a military term that described an oath of allegiance or a pledge of obedience that the soldier made to his commander. So it's a combination of sacramentum, this Latin word, but it's also a combination of a Greek word, mysterion, which means a mystery. Isn't that interesting? And it's appropriate because describing these, these sacraments, they are a bit of a mystery. There's a bit of a mystery to them, but, but we obey because Jesus instructed his followers to continue in practicing these sacraments, to continue in the Lord's Supper. And we see it all throughout the book of Acts. And, and Paul writes to uh, the Gentiles in Corinth. So th- these, these practices are not even for uh, just the Jews. They're for the Gentiles as well because Paul is giving instruction on the Lord's Supper to the Corinthians there. And uh, a sacrament... Uh, it, it is it, this is part of the mystery 
of communion, part of the mystery of baptism. What is a sacrament? A sacrament is a visible form of invisible grace. What does that mean? Let me, let me say it this way. A sacrament, like communion, can also be described as a physical act that symbolizes something spiritual, but it doesn't just stop there. It also seals or guarantees that spiritual thing that it symbolizes. In communion, God seals or he guarantees or he confirms his promises in Christ to us. There's an aspect, this is part of the mystery of communion, that it's not just breaking of bread and drinking from a cup, it's not just bread and wine, but the Holy Spirit is actually at work in the spiritual realm, and he's confirming, he's doing something behind the scenes that we can't see. And just like you receive Jesus in your heart, just like you receive salvation in faith, and you believe that, that you are saved because you uh, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe it in your heart. It's an act of faith. In the same way, when we take communion, it is an act of faith, knowing that the Holy Spirit is doing something behind the scenes. He's confirming or sealing God's promises to us. The significance of a seal is this, is that, uh, you know, like in government documents or unofficial documents, they have a seal on them. And the document, uh, the, or excuse me, the seal itself is meaningless unless it's attached to something, right? Unless it confirms something. Unless it's saying that there's authority in the thing that it is sealing. They're meaningless when attached to a blank page, yet when added to the promises of God, communion seals and confirms these promises. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to look with fresh eyes at the Last Supper, the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples Uh, Jesus, in the last week of his life, he uh, went from the gates of praise. And this is, again, the pattern of the tabernacle. He goes from the gates of praise, the, the gates of Jerusalem on a donkey. And we call it the triumphal entry. And he rides from the gates and he ends his triumphal entry in the courts by the altar where he brings himself as the sacrifice. And we talked about how Jesus began to flip tables in that moment. And then last week we talked about how Jesus, in the last week of his life, he washed his disciples' feet. And it's a picture of what the word of God does to us. It's a picture of the bronze basin. And yet again, we see Jesus as the ultimate worship leader leading his disciples in the act or, or, or the thing of communion. And he's bringing his disciples around a table after washing them, after bringing them into the priesthood, he breaks bread and they have this meal together. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through 28. It says this, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood. Which, what? Confirms or seals or guarantees the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Now this was... The Passover meal that Jesus was sharing with his disciples. This wasn't something that Jesus made up for this moment. He was participating with his disciples in something that the the Israelites had been doing for over a thousand years. 
This was the Passover meal, and the Passover meal was to celebrate or remember the Israelites' deliverance or exodus from Egypt. And so Jesus is participating in this Passover meal with his disciples, but Jesus is giving this meal new meaning. He's giving new meaning to this ancient tradition by showing the disciples that the, that the, the bread and, and the body represent himself. Now, can you imagine being the disciples? Can you imagine being the disciples and finally getting it? That We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but for over a thousand years, your, grand, your great-grandfathers, and as far back as you can remember in your family, they've all participated in this Passover meal for over a thousand years. And, and, and there's a bit of knowledge, there's a bit of an understanding of why they're doing it. They know that there's bread and there's wine on the table of showbread in the tabernacle. They know uh, that, that uh, the blood might have something to do with the, with the lamb's blood that was, that was shed over the doorpost when the, when the angel of death came. It was one of, it was the last plague of Egypt that actually brought them out of Egypt. They think there's some connection there, but, but they don't fully quite understand. Why, why do we break bread? Why do we drink wine? And, and what's the true significance of this? But they would, they would do it for over a thousand years because God actually instructed them to do this, that Moses instituted this, that they were supposed to share in this Passover meal. So imagine being the disciples and you're doing yet again the Passover meal like you've done every single year and Jesus breaks the bread and he passes it around and he says, hey guys, this bread that you've been breaking for over a thousand years, this bread is my body and it's about to be broken for you. This wine that we drink and we pass around, by the way, it wouldn't have been just one cup of wine, it would have been four cups of wine. Because the Israelites, they, 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 they had, there, was, there was four cups, and each cup represented something differently. And, and the cup that they were drinking from is, is the cup of redemption. And, and the disciples would have, Jesus would have said to them, this is my blood that is about to be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. The disciples, imagine them in this moment thinking, I finally get it. After all this time, after all of these years, this thing that we've been doing for thousands of years has all been pointing to Jesus. It's all been leading to Jesus. And it's been, it's been coming to this moment. All of the symbolism, all of the, all the things that we've been doing, it's all been pointing to Jesus. And of course... Jesus tells his disciples to do this in remembrance of me. And we see all throughout the New Testament, the church is continually participating in this act of communion. So for the remainder of our time, I want to talk about why we take communion. And we're going to take communion today. We've been taking communion on the fourth Sunday of every month uh, for the past couple months. But, but today, I, I thought we'd do it today because it's appropriate. So why do we take communion? The first thing is this. We talked about it a little bit already but communion creates intimacy is the first reason. Communion creates intimacy. See, the Hebrew word behind showbread, it's actually two Hebrew words, show and bread. And, and bread obviously means bread. But that word, the Hebrew word for show is actually the word face. So showbread is literally the bread of face or the bread of presence. And the table is where God instituted the ministry of FaceTime. That's right. That wasn't supposed to be a joke, but I, I hear it now. I got it. God was good. See, communion, communion is about intimacy. It's about face-to-face time with God. Getting close to God. It's where God desires to get close enough to you 
for you to hear his slightest whisper, so close that you can feel the rhythms of his heartbeat and learn to love what he loves and hate what he hates. See, God never intended communion to be minimized to just an event. It's supposed to be this ongoing thing in your life, like, like my marriage. My marriage is not supposed to be minimized to just one event. Now, we celebrate it every year with an anniversary, don't we? But if the observance of my marriage were reduced to a monthly event where we sipped some juice and ate a wafer, my marriage wouldn't last very long. See, I look forward to those moments across from the table with my wife where we have a date night and we talk about life and we grow closer to one another. And we look into each other's eyes. I know this is getting gushy for some of you guys. It's getting kind of mushy. But we look, we look, we just get gaga over each other. And we sit across the table and we share our hearts with one another. And we grow close. It's that act of intimacy with one another. Those moments across the table from another create deeper intimacy. And just like that, God wants to use communion for you to come to the table and sit across the table from him and share an, inti- an intimate moment. Share that intimacy with God. And break bread with him. And, and tell him your, your desires and your thoughts. And have him in turn tell, tell you what he loves and what he hates. See, lovers need more than just words. They need a demonstration of love, don't they? It doesn't just work to say, I love you all the time. But, but, but a husband and wife, they need to demonstrate their love for one another, don't they? We need more than just to talk. We need more than just the pastor on stage preaching in our faith. We need more, believe it or not. God, this was God's idea, not my idea. So I'm not saying this. God's saying this. We need more than just scripture, than just the Bible. And some of you might think, well, the word of God is enough, pastor. Well, God didn't think so. God actually included communion into our faith. It's part of our faith. The word of God is authority. It is, it is the foundation that we stand on. In fact, we just talked about last week how, how you can't get into the presence of God. You can't get into the holy place without first uh, washing yourself with the word of God. So the word of God plays an active role in our worship. But, but, but God is saying here that, that it's, it's more than just the words on a page. We need touch. We need a smell. We need a taste. Lovers, they need more than just I love you. They need a kiss or an embrace, and God has seen fit to give us something that we can touch, that we can smell, that we can taste as a seal and as a sign, as a symbol of his love, as a symbol of his promises for us. Did you know that we have the only God in any world religion who wants to be known? The only God who seeks the heart of his children The only God who loves people more than he loves their worship. Isn't that amazing? He wants you to understand him as he understands you. He wants to know you, church. He wants to have intimacy with you, to have a deep relationship with you. Communion creates intimacy. The second thing, and this is a big one, church. Communion unifies Jesus and his church. It unifies Jesus and his church together. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 through 17 says this. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's giving them proper instruction for how to take the Lord's Supper together. And he says this. He says, when we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, 
Aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 11.33, So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. See, the word communion, or the word commune, it means to share an experience together. And that's what the body and the blood of Jesus is all about, sharing the experience of the cross with Jesus because he wants to share the experience of our lives with us. Community is an act of unity. Excuse, what did I say, community? Communion is an act of unity. Bringing into one body Christ in the church. And, and communion, here's, here's another part of the mystery of communion. That communion, it doesn't just picture this unity. It's actually affected by the Holy Spirit. And it's part of the mystery of communion that the Holy Spirit is at work in, in the spiritual when we take communion together for the purpose of uniting the body of Christ. See, the church is the bride of Christ. You alone are not the bride of Christ. The church united is the bride of Christ. If you're a child of God, so you can have intimacy with the Father when you are alone at home. You're a friend of God, so you can have intimacy with your friend Jesus alone at home. But his bride is the assembled congregation, and Jesus can only have intimacy with his bride when we're all together. That's why I felt like it was important today to uh, instead of instead of doing those individual little cups with wafers, I felt like it was important, and we we have we had a second loaf of bread cut up, uh, but it, they all come from the same loaf of bread. I th- I felt like it was important to to share from one loaf of bread, because it was important in the Bible. It was important to the first church that everybody broke bread from the same piece of bread to symbolize that we are all united. We are all one. We are together, the bride of Christ. And that is why Paul, throughout the whole New Testament and all of his letters to the churches, he's always talking about unity. He's always talking about not being divided, to be of one mind. And how many of you know that this is the thing that the devil is going after today? Unity is the thing that the devil is trying to, to break in the church. And he's, he's giving us these, uh, we're, we're dividing over issues of mask mandates and, and vaccines and who you voted for and, and what you think of this issue and what you think of this issue. And Paul writes to the churches all throughout the New Testament and says, hey, let's set our differences aside. We are all different. We're all going to have different opinions. But above all, we are under the same umbrella of Jesus Christ. It comes before your politics. It comes before what you believe about this issue or what you believe about this issue. We are together the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And he wants to break bread. He wants to, he, he wants to bring unity again to the church. And I believe that we are to model this in our day and age. I believe that today and in and, and, and this season, we are to model what it looks like to be the unified body of Christ, to have, to have patience and compassion for one another, to be able to empathize with one another, and maybe see the world through another person's lens, and, and to understand, hey, these are, these are valid concerns you have, these are valid opinions that you have, but you know what? I, we, our love for each other, our union, our, our connection to one another is greater than what we believe about these things. It's formed in the blood of Jesus, because I'm a sinner I, I was a sinner that was broken and Jesus saved me while I was still a sinner and you were too. And that's, that's our baseline. That's what we have in common. 
The church unified is the bride of Christ. So it, it unites the church together, but it also unites us with Jesus. The act of communion does this, that the Holy Spirit actually affects this. It's not just symbolized or represented in communion, but there's something taking place in the spiritual that happens when we take communion together. So communion unifies Jesus and his church. The third thing is this. Communion is a seal of God's promises. Remember earlier, I related communion to a seal of an official document. And that document that I'm referring to is the word of God. That communion seals the promises of God in his word. All the promises of God given to you through Jesus are sealed in the act of communion. Well, what promises does the word give that communion guarantees us? I want to talk about two today, two promises. The first promise that communion guarantees that the word of God gives us is forgiveness. That's a promise from God. God has promised forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. The blood of Jesus, which is symbolized in the wine or the juice of communion, and the Holy Spirit is again sealing that promise when we drink it together. The first promise is forgiveness. That if you're here this morning, and you, you have a relationship with God, but maybe you've walked away, maybe you feel far away from him, when you take communion today, know that the promise of forgiveness that God has given you, that this is a, this is a, a seal, this is a guarantee of that promise, that you have forgiveness, that God doesn't hold anything against you. There's no condemnation when you come to Jesus and you plead the blood of Jesus on your life. The first promise is forgiveness. The second promise, and this gets me excited, second promise is healing. Healing. The table of showbread in the tabernacle had had 12 loaves of bread that were littered with holes. And, and they would poke holes in the bread because it would stop it from rising. And, and the bread was supposed to be without yeast or unleavened. This, I'm sure, probably has yeast in it because it looks delicious. Cheryl Brewer actually made this this last weekend just for this purpose so I could show it off today. But the reason that they made bread without yeast was because yeast or leaven, it represented sin. And Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees. And all throughout the Bible, yeast and leaven is a, is a symbol for sin. And so they were supposed to bake bread without yeast. And they were to poke holes and puncture the bread with holes to keep it from rising. And this is significant because the holes, they represent the broken body of Jesus. He had nails driven into his hands and in his feet. He was punctured. And this bread represents his body. Isaiah describes what Jesus' broken body did for you. In Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The promise of healing is confirmed by the Holy Spirit when we take communion. That's another promise that we have in Scripture that as we take communion, God is, is, is solidifying that. 
And church, if you're here today and you need healing, I'm going to encourage you as you come to the tables of communion today at the end of this message that you would in faith reach out to God and ask for healing. You know, I think sometimes we're afraid to ask for healing. We're afraid to pray for healing because we think, well, what if nothing happens? Can I ask you this question? What if something did happen, church? Do you think we would be as timid to ask for it? Listen, I'm okay living in the mystery that we, that heaven has come, but we aren't fully experiencing it. I'm okay with that tension. I'm okay with the tension that Jesus has promised you healing, but we don't always see it in our world. It doesn't mean that we stop asking for it. It doesn't mean we stop believing in his word that he's given us healing. He has promised healing for those who believe. When you became a new creation, he didn't just save your spirit. He didn't just save your mind. He saved your body, church. He saved all of you. And we can ask for that healing. We can ask for that that freedom. And and yes, we don't always see it. We don't always know why. But I'm not going to stop asking for it just because it's my experience. I've talked to other people who, who, who've prayed for healing. I've, I've prayed for healing. I've seen it. I've seen people's broken bones put back together. I've seen deaf ears open up before as I've prayed over them. And I know people who have seen healing take place in their life. And, and just because I don't always see it, I don't always have an answer to my prayer, doesn't mean I'm going to stop asking for it. But it's a promise that, that communion guarantees. And so as you step up to the table, I'm going to ask you to come with faith. To bring that little faith that you have. Jesus isn't asking for much. He says the faith the size of a mustard seed. That's all you need. The faith the size of a mustard seed. And that doesn't mean, well, that mustard seed must be a lot of faith packed, a lot of concentrated faith packed in that tiny mustard. No, Jesus is literally saying, Jesus isn't saying faith is highly concentrated and if you just get a mustard seed, that's a lot of faith. No, he's literally saying the, the mustard seed is small. You, you don't need much. And I love the story of the man who came to Jesus and, and, and he was asking for prayer for his daughter. And, and Jesus said, do you believe? And he said, yes, Lord, but help me with my unbelief. Did you know it's okay to have, to have doubt? It's okay to wrestle? That's part of our faith. That's part of growing closer to Jesus. As we come to Jesus with doubt, we say, God, I don't, I don't quite understand why this is happening I want to see breakthrough. I want to see this relationship restored. I want this person's body to be healed. I don't quite understand why it doesn't happen. But Lord, help me with my unbelief. I trust in you regardless. It's okay to question. It's okay to wrestle. And guess what? When you wrestle and you have questions, God shows up. He answers your prayer and your faith begins to grow. And you can say, okay, if God was faithful then, he's faithful now. I can look back at that testimony and say, yes, God, I want more of that in my life. And you can bring that into your life today. That's what we're called to do, church. And it's what communion seals or confirms, forgiveness and healing. The last one is this. Communion remembers us. Not remembers us, remembers us. What do I mean by that? Well, when we talk about communion, If you were to ask anybody, you know, why do we take communion? They would probably give you the answer. Well, Jesus said to do this in remembrance of me. In Luke 22, uh, verse 20, and likewise the cup after they, they had eaten, saying the cup, oh, excuse me, I skipped it. 
It's verse 19. And he took bread, and he had given thanks. He broke and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Communion remembers us. Communion is not merely a mental exercise where we just come and we reflect mentally on what Jesus did for us on the cross. You know, the Passover meal, the Passover meal was not only a way to remember their exodus moment. The Israelites took the Passover meal not only to remember their exodus moment, but a means of re-identification with being the people of God. Because God told the Israelites, I will deliver you from Egypt and you will be my people. I'm going to make you mine. And so when the Israelites take, when they had the Passover meal together, they were not only remembering their, their bringing out of Egypt, but they were re-identifying with being, I belong to God. He called me his. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I belong to him. It's a re-identification. See, that moment of being led out of Egypt was a defining moment in the life of a Jew. And similarly, the death of Jesus was a defining moment in the life of every believer. And communion remembers us into the community of God. It is a re-identification into the family of God. When we take communion, we remember God has called me his. I belong to the Lord. I've given my life to him. And we re-identify with being the people of God. I'm going to invite you to participate in communion. And this church is a holy moment. I believe that. I believe that God wants to do something this morning. This moment of remembrance, this moment of mystery. But I want to remind you that the priests, they had to visit the altar of sacrifice first and wash in the word before arriving at the table. And that's what we do when we come to the table is before we take communion, we first submit at the altar of sacrifice, don't we? We lay our lives down. We allow the word to wash over us. And so my invitation for you this morning is that maybe you haven't submitted your life to Jesus and I would invite you to do that before you come to the tables. Communion is meaningless unless you have first submitted your life to Jesus. So church, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And I want to give you an invitation before we come to the tables of communion. If you're here today and you say, I have not submitted my life to Jesus, but I want to be part of the family of God. I want to participate in this moment, in this act of communion. I want to be washed by the cleansing of God's word. If that's you and you've never done that in your life before, I just would ask you right now, would you just raise your hand? Raise your hand so that I can see it. I want to pray with you. Anybody in the room? Praise God. Father, right now we invite you to come into this moment. We ask, Lord, that as we take communion, Father, that we, that you would seal your promises in us once again, Father, that we would have intimacy with you, Jesus. God, this thing that we do every month, would you make it come alive once again to us? In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to begin singing a song. And and as I sing this song, I'm going to invite you to just come to the tables and grab a cup and, and grab a piece of bread and make your way back to your seat. Hold on to it until we're done singing. And we're going to take communion together. 
as a family. So as I start singing, feel free to come up at any time and grab that bread.